1: check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
2: Who they think going to beat them Bengals?
3: It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisco. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you.
4: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. This week, we have a big crossover event going on all week with all of the other podcast hosts from the AFC North. Joe will be around only for one of them, but lucky for you, that will be the one that's focused on the Cincinnati Bengals. The next few days, we're going to be looking at how the other teams in the division finished their 2020, what questions remain for the future, get to talk a little smack, get to talk about the future of the division a little bit. And we'll be talking about the Bengals for that one on Wednesday's show. So look forward to that. Before that starts, though, we will have uh, what we're starting here is a, a positional outlook for each position for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we're going to start with quarterback because it is probably the most straightforward decision for the Bengals on this roster. We start with quarterback because it's the most impactful position on a football team. And for the Bengals, it's probably the most straightforward discussion as well. The Bengals currently come in just above average in positional spending at $19 million and some change after they cut Andy Dalton's $17.7 million contract and add the presumed number one overall draft pick salary at quarterback they end up about seventh lowest in the league for positional spending. So that's where you start. How will the Bengals shed Andy Dalton's contract and his salary? Or do we even have to ask if they will?
3: And I think some teams that are interested in Andy Dalton expect the Bengals to cut Dalton at some point before the season starts or before free agency really kicks off. If not, then I think that's when we have a great idea that trade value is there and maybe they move them for a mid to late round pick.
4: Just one week ago, Chris Mortensen reported that there are teams interested in trading for Andy Dalton as Joe Burrow to Cincinnati Connections continue to grow. So the real interesting part for the Bengals at quarterback is what happens at the backup position. I think everyone is assuming Joe Burrow is your starting quarterback of the future. But last year, they kept two rookies, Jake Doligala, who was undrafted, and Ryan Finley, who the Bengals traded up for in the fourth round. Finley even started some games for the Bengals last year, and that did not go well. Not well at all.
3: Going 0-3, being benched for the previously benched Andy Dalton, Ryan Finley completed just 47% of his passes and had a passer rating of 62. He was one of the worst starting quarterbacks I've ever seen.
4: You can't complete passes at that rate in the National Football League and expect to be successful. And he had glaring arm strength issues. He was very productive in college, so it stands to reason that maybe some of that follows him to the NFL. There's probably a good chance that he can be a career backup, but I think he answered any questions about his starting ability in that short spurt, and it really was incredibly poor. And it also... Not only was it bad on the field, but it got a really bad reaction from a lot of the veterans on the Bengals, notably Carlos Dunlap, guys that have been around the team for almost a decade, if not a decade now, did not take well to Andy Dalton being benched for a guy that didn't give them a chance to win games.
3: And Jake DeOgala, on the other hand, the rookie quarterback that went on draft and many expected him to spend the entire year on the practice squad. Instead, the Bengals kept him on the 53-man roster, didn't activate him any week, but Keeping him on the roster for 17 weeks, I think spe- speaks a little bit that they have interest in him as a future developmental guy, whether that means now a uh, backup position. I don't think a future starter is in the is in the plans with Joe Burrow being drafted, but maybe Dolagala can come into camp and beat out Ryan Finley. That's if the Bengals aren't interested in bringing in a veteran quarterback to back up the rookie. With just three starts on this roster, bringing in a rookie, that's just not a lot of experience going into 2020.
4: And there are quite a few quarterbacks that will be hitting the open market this year. Case Keenum, Chad Henney, A.J. McCarron, Josh McCann, if he still wants to play, Blaine Gabbard, and Matt Moore, who has some ties to Zach Taylor that we've talked about in the past. They were together in Miami. And then if the Bengals wanted to spend more at backup quarterback or have a competition for some reason, they could look at Marcus Mariota, although I think that would be cost prohibitive.
3: Another guy with connections to Zach Taylor and the Rams was Sean Mannion, who was drafted by L.A. in 2015 in the third round. He spent 2015 to 2018 with them and 2019 with the Vikings, and he is a free agent this offseason. But like Ryan Finley, has only started three games in his career and is 0-3 as
4: well. Like A.J. McCarron, another guy that has Bengals ties, was previously a backup in Cincinnati, Jeff Driscoll, also an unrestricted free agent. So there are plentiful options on the market if the Bengals do feel like they need to bring in a veteran, if they don't feel comfortable with Ryan Finley going forward. But there's also a world where you can see them being content with letting Dolagala and Finley battle it out for the backup position because you have to believe that next year, They won't be carrying three quarterbacks again. I don't know that this team will have the luxury to do that two seasons in a row. Coming up next, we've got our AFC North Roundtable crossover event starting. We're going to talk about the Ravens 2019 season. We're going to talk about the outlook for 2020. That's all for AFC North podcast coming together here in just a minute. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that
3: extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, the, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W dot com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got... 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles.
4: Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer, Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visit arizona.com slash spring training. Welcome back to a Locked On special
5: here. We're doing the AFC North Divisional crossover. So that means that I have Jake Liskow of Locked On Bengals, Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns, and Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers here. And the whole game plan this week is to get an idea of where each team is, heading into the offseason, as well as doing a season review. So here we're going to first get into the season review for the Ravens, starting at the top, the Ravens 14-2. and two. And I want to start with you, Chris, and get your thoughts on where the Ravens were heading into this 2019 season. Obviously, Lamar Jackson and his, his first full season as the starter for the Ravens, taking over for Joe Flacco. What were Steelers Nation and your expectations going into the season for the Ravens?
0: Well, I was a lot different than most of Steeler Nation. Um, a lot of Steeler Nation were pushing the whole narrative. Lamar Jackson's just a running back, all that stuff. You know, our former to- co-host Tony Serena, that was one of his big things. Um, but I was a person that in Lamar Jackson's draft class, I had him and uh, the guy that went to the Bills, uh, drama blank right now, but... Um, I had him as, well as part of my top two of that draft class. I didn't like Baker Mayfield as much as other people did. I wasn't huge on Sam Darnold because I don't believe in USC quarterbacks. Uh, Lamar Jackson spoke to me that he could do really well in the league if put in the right system. What I didn't expect was for the rest of the offense to click with him the way it did this season. I thought Lamar would put up some highlight plays and make, make some exciting moments, but I, I didn't expect like Mark Andrews to be this good this season uh, with the numbers that they put up together. Um, so I mean I think the biggest thing for me was that like I knew I knew Earl Thomas was going to change a lot of things about that secondary and allow them to be more aggressive in different areas. but Lamar Jackson is where a lot of people I think underestimated the Ravens and even I, I thought he'd be very good. I didn't think he would play and no one thought other than, outside of maybe himself and, and Ravens fans that he could play at this MVP level for the for the season. So I think that's where most of Steelers' fans, came at it from a preseason perspective and as the season wore on everyone just thought eventually oh Lamar Jackson's gonna fall off and he'll he'll have a couple bad games here and there and it just never happened
5: yeah but for the Ravens it was a sight for sore eyes especially for all the haters out there everybody you mentioned Chris you know the not bad for running back Lamar Jackson really just fueled off of his haters and he never really had that fall off obviously the MVP for the whole NFL but Jeff as the season went on The Ravens, you know, they got hot in the first two weeks and then they ended up falling off a bit against the Chiefs and then obviously to your Cleveland Browns. What was your thought process for Baltimore going throughout the entire season? Did you ever expect them to fall off? Were Browns fans kind of waiting for it to happen and saying, oh, we can climb back in the division because the Ravens aren't going to be able to beat the Patriots? They're not going to be able to beat the Rams, the Seahawks, et cetera? Um, I think
6: for us, you know, uh, on a Browns hole,
5: um, you know, obviously,
6: we got to see them you know, week four, and you, know, you saw some vulnerabilities. Obviously, a key to it was the running game. But for me, Lamar Jackson throughout his you know, draft process was just find me the team that's going to blend the uniqueness of him. The fact that he is a fantastic open field, and the fact that he was such a dual player at the collegiate level. And you know, obviously, all of us in the conference, we've seen Lamar from the infancy of his time in Baltimore. And there were those plays where they came out and trotted him like a wide receiver. And it was like, well, well, what are you doing? Then he got the opportunity. And, you know, obviously he ran really well as a rookie, threw pretty well. Then you got to the second year where you got some more weapons around him. And it's crazy to see such a young quarterback play this well with a tight end scheme like that Baltimore runs. And Mark Roman's got going on down there. It's fantastic. Um, He deserves every bit of success he's had this year. He was phenomenal. Obviously, it wasn't so much on him as it maybe was on the defense in the playoffs. But you knew Baltimore truly believed in him with the moves moves they made on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Bringing in veteran defensive linemen, making that trade for Marcus Peters. They were really smart about it. Obviously, maybe that week of rest during the bye week didn't help them because they had all the mojo in the world going. Um, But I I don't believe anybody thinks that Baltimore is going away anytime soon.
5: No, it just starts like, it feels like the start of something new here for the Ravens. And the Ravens, obviously, finishing 14-2 and two was their best mark in franchise history, had the first round by. And Jake, for you, watching the Ravens throughout the entire season, obviously we saw you in Week 6 and we saw you again a bit more down the road. is The Ravens went into the playoffs and we saw the decision for Baltimore to rest their starters in Week 17, then heading into the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans, who have an absolute freight train in Derrick Henry. First of all, did you think that that decision by John Harbaugh to rest his starters was the right one? And second, what do you think happened in Tennessee?
4: I never really begrudge a coach for resting starters in meaningless games. I think that that is a totally defensible decision. But the, the question mark for me all year with the Ravens defense, well, was the Ravens defense. there? There's not much of a pass rush to speak of on the roster. At least that was my perception going into the season. And just looking at it, looking at PFF numbers right now, you have Matthew Judon, who has 63 pressures, and you got some situational play from Jalen Ferguson, who, you know, rookie year to build on would be the uh, positive outlook, the positive way to frame his season. And, and then you add Marcus Peters, who is a huge shot in the arm. You find Josh Bynes off the street and, and along with Earl Thomas, a guy who we thought would make a difference for this defense. I was surprised that the defense played as well as it did all year. But you asked about the playoffs, and I absolutely thought that we were going to get a Ravens-Chiefs-AFC championship game because Lamar Jackson is just good enough that I thought it doesn't matter how good Tennessee's defense is. It shouldn't be good enough to stop Lamar Jackson and that machine that's going in Baltimore. And it was a lot of fun for me as a Bengals fan in a season that didn't matter at all. To watch Lamar Jackson, I really liked him as a collegiate quarterback in Louisville. I thought that... You go back to my Twitter timeline from that draft, actually. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, easy pick for the Bengals. Pick Lamar Jackson. He's not going to get to the Ravens. He's already gone. You know, he, he's the Ravens go another way. And I'm sitting here, you know, I'm just really thankful that he didn't go to the Ravens. And then the Ravens trade up at the bottom of the first round and got him. So I'm thinking... Lamar Jackson is a transcendent enough player that this Tennessee team isn't special enough to stop him. And then they got the best game from their front four that they had all season. And in a wasn't even particularly close. And then there's a considerable, considerable amount of luck in that game as well, I think, that went Tennessee's way. And and like the other guys here, I don't think Baltimore's necessarily going anywhere. But what's interesting and something that we'll have to talk about, I think, coming up here is the cap situation and looking at the outlook there, is there going to be the money they need to have to make any moves? Are they going to be strapped? And this division should be more competitive in the next few years. There's a lot of pieces there for Cleveland who we're going to talk about later this week. Pittsburgh, as long as Ben Roethlisberger's there, I feel like they're not really going anywhere. And for the Bengals, and we'll talk about them in a couple of days, too. I think that Joe Burrow makes them relevant again, and we'll talk about whether or not it'll be Joe Burrow during the Bengals episode, but it'll be interesting to see how this division plays out with the Ravens currently in the driver's seat, powered by this juggernaut running offense that's really unlike anything the NFL has seen for quite a while with a very competitive division. Yeah, competitive is
5: going to be the key term for the AFC North for, I believe, years to come, and you hit on a lot of good points there, Jake. And I think that going back to your point about Lamar Jackson where, oh, you're thankful he didn't go to the Ravens, and then the Ravens trade up for him, the Ravens made it a point to – make sure that they didn't give away anything to say that they were interested in Lamar Jackson. They met with him in secret. They didn't attend a lot of his events. They knew that Lamar Jackson was their guy, but they didn't want to tip off other teams that he was their guy. So going and looking at Lamar Jackson, seeing this raw prospect, can he throw the ball? Does he have the accuracy? Is he a running back? The Ravens knew that he was their quarterback and he was the guy that they wanted. They made a move with the Eagles and they got their guy. But we're going to go to break, and next we're going to talk about the Ravens' offseason outlook and looking ahead to 2020 as well. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. Welcome back to another segment of this NFL, or for us, the AFC North Divisional Crossover. And I'm still here with Jake, Jeff, and Chris. And as we look at the Ravens' 2020 offseason, this is the year where the Ravens have to hit a big, both in free agency and the draft. The Ravens, I've, the Ravens obviously finished with the top record in the NFL at 14-2, and two, but there's room for improvement, believe it or not. The Ravens have... Just under $27 million in cap space. They do have a few key players that need to resign, like Matthew Judon, Michael Pierce, and a few other big ones the Ravens could opt to move on from. Safety, Tony Jefferson, cornerback Brandon Carr. But when you look at the Ravens' team needs, you have to identify on the defensive side of the ball— the interior pressure as well as on the outside. The Ravens really struggled to get sacks last season. They ranked in the bottom third for a while before finally coming up and peaking towards the end of the season. Marcus Peters' acquisition really helps that as coverage sacks are a thing in the NFL. And with him and Marlon Humphrey, as well as Brandon Carr, Jimmy Smith, Earl Thomas, that secondary locked up receivers. And as the Ravens look to free agency, they have to resign one of their own. Matthew Judon carried the Ravens pass rush had nine and a half sacks a career high for him also did a great job at setting the edge and for Baltimore he's a guy where the Ravens lost to Darius Smith in the offseason to the Green Bay Packers became one of the perennial pass rushers for Green Bay they lost Terrell Suggs they had to rely on a lot of young guys and I think for the Ravens they don't want to rely on as many young guys this upcoming season they want to get a veteran or two in and the Ravens have to make a decision is it going to be Matthew Judon Or are they going to maybe sign the likes of a Jadivian Clowney, a Robert Quinn, Shaq Barrett? This is a great year for offseason pass rushers, but you also have to kick it inside. The Ravens didn't get a lot of pressure from Brandon Williams, from Michael Pierce, who's a free agent. They might want to look at somebody like a Chris Jones or something like that. So when you look at Baltimore, they have a lot of needs as well as wide receiver. So I first want to talk to you, Chris, about the importance of having interior pass rush, of having edge players. The Steelers, obviously, the Ravens have seen them twice, and they just keep getting better and better on the edge in the interior. I can mention a few guys, Cam Hayward, Javon Hargrave, TJ Watt. They have guys like Bud Dupree, who's a free agent. How important is it for teams to really stack their pass rush and make sure you can actually get to the quarterback?
0: Well, I think it's been the saving grace of the Steelers uh, for the past couple of years. They've, They've led the NFL in sacks for now three years in a row. Um, and, uh, we, what it's been able to do for them is give them a standard for the two years for about for about two year past two years before this year, their secondary had some players, but was always shaky, but it could be, it could be disguised by the fact that they were bringing heat. And he's like, you know, hey, now you don't always have as much time to pick on Cody Sensabaugh or Mike Mitchell. But now they have a secondary in in Hayden and Nelson and Fitzpatrick and Edmonds that they're a a lot more confident. And I think that's a good sign for where they're going. But I think the Ravens absolutely need to get that pass rush back onto their team. Um, I, I, I also think Bud Dupree, from all indication, from everything that we've heard from the organization, the Steelers, they're prioritizing signing him. And they're, they're, they're willing to make a lot of moves to make room for that. But, you know, I think that that the, that the Ravens may be in a situation where they may want to try and trade up. I know that, you know, everyone is uh, is, is gushing over Chase Young, but it, it may work work in the Ravens' favor if they try to go off to, to Chase. And now he's going to go mid-first round, and the, the Ravens are picking at 28, so it's going to cost them probably a, a good bit to move up. But that would be a young edge rusher at LSU who he, he looks the part of an athletic edge rusher. He's got the length to use his arms to keep people at a distance, keep people out of his frame. That's the kind of guy I think the Ravens should be going after right now, someone that's going to fit the prototypical edge rusher role but is also an athlete and can be moved around and let them get creative on defense. Uh, but it's absolutely something that's huge for, for what today's NFL needs to be like. And like, like you were talking about, Chris Jones – you know, the, the Chiefs were able to, to, uh, to, to, to balance their team out because late in the year, their pass rush started to come on. You know, Terrell Suggs got involved. Chris Jones got, got active. And that's what they were able to rely on for a defense that was kind of just middle of the line for, for most of the year. If with the Ravens, with the offense that they're getting, I do think they need to get another play. They need to get a playmaker for Lamar Jackson to depend upon, whether that's free agency the draft but defensively I do think they need that that Baltimore edge rush back and it's crazy to think like when I was watching Terrell Suggs in a Chiefs uniform I was like thinking like wow I've been watching that guy as a Raven for the past like 18 years it's it's crazy to think about that uh, about that transition and I do think the Ravens need to make that one of their priorities at pass rushing and playmaking for Lamar Jackson would be the two things I'm looking at from Baltimore
5: yeah, you mentioned the weirdness of seeing Charles Suggs in a different uniform for yeah. Ravens fans. It, it was something else, especially seeing him moving to number 56 with the Cardinals from 55 and then moving to 94. just didn't look right for the Ravens. And I think as we stick with the draft here, Chris, I identified... a. Uh, Chasing as a guy who I wanted, but moving to you, Jeff, with the receivers, the Browns obviously have one of the best receiving duos in the NFL and Odo Beckham and Jarvis Landry. And as you look towards the draft, there are guys out there, obviously the big three, Jerry Judy, Ceedee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, but there are guys towards the end of the first round, LaVisca Chenault, T. Higgins, guys like that, even Justin Jefferson. Do you think the Ravens should invest a higher draft pick in a receiver, or do you think they should maybe go the Browns route, maybe trade a draft capital for us to Fawn Diggs, or go out in free agency, sign into Mari Cooper. Do you think it should be draft or free agency for the Ravens in terms of wide receiver?
6: Um, the way I'm looking at it, and it should probably just be something, you know, draft-wise. You know, Chris brought up great points, but say you work it out with Matthew Judon. All right, that big need is taken care of. So then you're going to look at it, you know, what is the best thing here? What is one more thing we need on offense, which we could have used maybe in that Tennessee game when we were playing from behind and we're not used to it. You're looking for that. You've got your home run hitter in Hollywood Brown. This tight end thing is working really, really well. And it works really, really well off the play action. And obviously, you know, all the things you can do with the threat of, you know, Lamar with running the ball, keeping the ball in his hands. I think what you need, and you brought up two names, either you look at LaVise Cassino and you look at the fact that he can do a little bit of everything. So here's one more guy that, guess what? It's not just going to be faux motion when he's coming down the line or he's doing it, you know, whether it's jet sweep or it's around the backfield. There's a good, legit possibility he's going to get handed the ball, which makes things very, very even more. How are you going to stop this team when everybody's an option from getting the ball at any point? Or you look at like a Justin Jefferson. You look at that. All right. What are we going to do on third and six? Obviously, that's not Hollywood Browns bread and butter. You're going to go high, low on these tight ends on these six, seven-yard routes. Why don't you go find that guy that just has ridiculously good footwork in the five to ten-yard range so when it's third and six, third and seven, he's going to come in, stomp his feet on the hash, jet out, jet in, create himself the separation, can make for easy throws for Lamar where you can change moving. That for me is probably a scary thing. Is for them to maybe add a Jefferson to this where it's, you know, big plays here, big plays there. The running game is consistent at 5, 6 yards a pop. But now you add that third and need the sticks element and a guy like Jefferson, that would be the one I would probably Cleveland Browns wise and their defense wise. That'd be the one I'd hate to see happen because I think it just completes every athlete, every facet, every phase of that offense whether it's the run game or whether it's the pass game, you know, threatening, you know, 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards.
5: And I wouldn't even put it past Baltimore to maybe draft two receivers in this draft class, especially with how deep it is. You can get value for receivers in this draft. You talk about guys like maybe a Devin DuVernay out of Texas, Colin Johnson, is running mate. There's I could go through a list. it take us forever. But talking about next season, 2020, Jake, I want to throw this one your way. The Ravens right now, believe it or not, have the easiest strength of schedule for 2020 right now as we talk. For the Ravens, this is a year where I think they can capitalize not only on their strength of schedule, but again, we talked about free agency and we talked about the draft. We're all playing the same opponents for the most part, obviously outside of the Ravens have to play the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots because they did finish first in the division. But when you look at the Ravens' schedule, when you look at how much cap space they have in the draft, what's a realistic record and maybe even a playoff prediction for the Ravens for you in 2020?
4: So here's my concern for the Ravens in 2020, and it's the same as it was coming into this season, it's the defense. Is there enough money to, to bring back enough players or bring in enough external players to keep that defense going? You mentioned Matthew Judon, the only pass rusher that's really producing consistently for the Ravens as a free agent. You sign him. You take out your seven million dollars for your rookie allotment, or maybe a little bit less because you're picking later in the draft. So call it five million dollars. Well, now you got seven million dollars left against the cap. So then I'm looking at your your list of 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 uh, cap casualty potentials. The one thing that's a real double-edged sword is is Marshall Marshall Yanda going to retire? On the one hand, that saves you seven million dollars against the cap. On the other hand, now you need a guard. So I'm I'm kind of wondering where's that money coming from to keep that defense going because the offense with Marquise Brown taking a second year receiver step, if he can get healthy in particular playing the whole year banged up, still much better than I thought he would be uh, coming out with his size, just the speed played so well. The ball skills played so well in the NFL. I think that they'll need to make some significant additions to keep the pace. One of the reasons that poor strength of schedule looks the way it does, right? Is because you got the two and 14 Bengals on there twice. I don't expect the Bengals to be a two and fourteen team again. I don't know that they'll be an eight and eight team, but I think that if the Bengals play this offseason the way that I would play this offseason, which in, which involves moving seventeen point seven million dollars of Andy Dalton's cap hit, moving Cordy Glenn's nine point five million dollar cap hit to clear up seventy million in cap space, playing aggressively in free agency for once. And now I know I'm talking about a fantasy book at this point, right? It's not not the Bengals' mo, but. Point is, I think it's going to be a little bit more competitive for the Ravens next year. Teams are going to adjust to the Mark Roman offense to some degree, even though the Mark Jackson going to keep making plays that are just unfair, I think. But for me and the Ravens, I think it's just a big question of, are there enough offseason resources to keep things going? And I just wanted to go back to one name you shouted out that I think is a perfect fit for the Ravens that's Colin Johnson. I think that that would be a tremendous, tremendous mid-round draft pick for the Ravens. The way he refined his route running at the Senior Bowl, big body, good possession target. That one would be a pretty interesting value pick to me.
5: Yeah, Colin Johnson, a guy big 6'6", he can block, and the Ravens, John Harbaugh identified, he wants the Ravens to go after one specific type of wide receiver, someone who can block, someone who can get up at the point of attack, because as we all know, Hollywood Brown, he has the speed, he can catch contested balls, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. He has to go out of bounds instead of taking hits sometimes. That's just his frame and that's just his size. If the Ravens can get someone who can compliment him, that's going to be especially dangerous for Baltimore. And you also mentioned Marshall Yana's retirement. That's another huge question for Baltimore. I'm hoping and praying he comes back, but I know you guys are probably open. he hangs it up just for the sake of the rest of the AFC North. But, That's all we have for you today, and tomorrow we're going to be back here talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers for the second installment of the AFC North Divisional crossover, so stay tuned for that, and we will see you tomorrow.